After last time we did heedlessness. Oh, I didn't finish this with you. I did the first two cures. Heedlessness against was ghafla. This is the opposite of dhikr. Heedlessness means to be ghafil from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be ghafil from His pleasure, to be ghafil from His wishes, to be ghafil from the teachings of the Qur'an, to be ghafil from our own identity as an abd. That is also a type of ghaflat that we forget that we are in essence ibad, that we are the servants and slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what he means when he says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّةِ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لَيَعْبُدُونَ That I did not create jinn or humanity except for my ibadah. It means that I created you so that the primary identity, your dominant identity, more so than being a boy or a girl or a student or a teacher or anything, would be your ubudiyat, would be that you're an ab. And if ever there was a conflict in roles or conflict in identities, you would always preserve that identity which is that of your being an ab. Because the most important relationship to us should be that of the rub relationship. Everything else can be sacrificed for that. Right? So that is also a type of ghaflat. Or simply to be unaware of Allah. So we believe, but we kind of never think about Allah. Or to be ghaflat in our ibadat, to never think about Allah in our prayers, or in our du'as, or in our worship. So anyway you cut it, ghaflat is something that if we look in our side of ourselves, it's extremely pervasive. Last time we did two of the four cures that he mentions, but there are many cures. The two that he mentioned last time was, number one, istighfar, to seek the forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we discussed that. Second is to visit the righteous suhbat salihin I give you the sneakers example, you would remember it from that. Today, the third and fourth, number three, is to invoke benedictions, salutations, send durood and salawat on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an al-Kareem, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتُهُ يُسَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ Verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His angels Send these things with explanation in a moment called salawat on the Prophet Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu O you who believe sallu alayhi Send salawat on him Musallimu taslima And send salam on him So salawat, salam and barakat Barakat is a word that comes in Al-Durud al-Rami Allahumma barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad Right? Three words have come in the Quran and Sunnah Salawat, salam and barakat A concise durud that contains all of these three Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ سَيْدْنَا مُحَمَّدْ وَبَارِكْ وَسَلِّمْ وَبَارِكْ وَسَلِّمْ includes the barakat and salam. Right? What are these three things? Number one, salawat. When we make this salawat, we are actually doing dua for nuzul rahmat That we want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send more and more of His mercy in, on the Prophet Barakat is we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send blessings on the Prophet Salam is that we are asking Allah. One is for us to say salam to a person, a fellow Muslim, assalamu alaikum. In this dude, we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send his salam on the Prophet How would this reduce our heedlessness? The way this reduces our heedlessness is the more, and once you try to say this a dirud hundred times a day, is that you're reminded of another identity of yours. That not only am I Abdullah, but I also a member of Ummat Mustafa. I actually am a person of a prophet. I'm a member of a prophetic community. I'm a follower of a prophet. That's what a Muslim is. We are the followers of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And sometimes we forget that. And we're ghafil of that fact that we are his followers. So when you send your salawat upon him, you remember him. When you remember him, you remember yourself and your relationship to him. And if we were to view ourselves, and if this was to be part of our identity, then I'm just not an ordinary girl. I'm a girl who's the spiritual daughter of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I'm just not an ordinary girl. I'm the descendant of Amma Aisha, Amma Khadija, brother Anha. They're my role models. I'm not just an ordinary boy, right? I am a muqtadi of Sayyid al-Awwaleen wal-Akhireen, Imam al-Anbiya wal-Mursaleen. 
I am the descendant of Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Umar, Sayyidina Uthman, Sayyidina Ali, right? Then a person's identity changes, right? Your whole way of, your way you carry yourself will be different. The way you dress will be different. Everything about you will be different. When you realize that we come from a particular legacy, that we have a particular identity. So this also can help us remove our ghaflat. Also, if you reflect on the seerah or the life of the Prophet's biography, and you realize how many sacrifices he made for the sake of the deen, i.e., so that the deen would remain on earth, so that me and you would have a chance to become Muslim, uh, then a person is very humbled. And a person thinks that when my Prophet put his own life on the line, put the life of his companions on the line, left his own hometown, Makkah did so many, so many, so many, so many things for the sake of this deen, then I, being his muttabay, being his follower, should also think about how many sacrifices I should make to earn and to deserve that, right? To be worthy in earning of that ihsan of the Prophet upon us. The fourth thing being mentioned, and there's no particular order here, the fourth treatment for ghaflat is tilawat to quran to recite the Qur'an al-Kareem, daily recitation of the Qur'an. We should all have a habit, inshallah, Aziz, reciting the Qur'an every day. Ulama have differed. There's a verse in the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, recite the Qur'an as much as is its due. Hakka tilawati. There's an ikhtilaf in the mufassirun that what is the Qur'an's right over us? What is its haq? Some people say to finish it once a month is its haq. So that would mean to recite one juz, or what you call one para a day. Some people say to recite it twice a year, once in the month of Ramadan, and once any other time, that is its haq. Imam Munifunamta said that if we're going to talk about bare minimum haq, he said the bare minimum haq of the Qur'an is that at least every day a mu'min should take it out, open it, and look at its words once with muhammad, ek nazar muhammad. That's the bare minimum haq at a daily level that the Qur'an the Kareem has over us. So, okay, we can start with that. But secondly, we should try to have a habit of recitation. I'm talking here recitation of the Arabic. Studying the meaning is something else. And again, lots of people have this question about what is the benefit of reading the Qur'an in the Arabic original without meaning. If your reason for reading the Qur'an is intellectual fulfillment, then yes, there is zero benefit in reading the Qur'an in the Arabic without understanding the meaning. But if your intention in reading the Qur'an is it's an act of ibadah, that you want to recite the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because no English or Urdu tarjama tafsir can be called the word of God. If you want to recite the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is one of his sifat, is his attribute, you want to experience that kalam on your tongue, then you have to recite the Arabic original, whether you know it or not. And as I've suggested to you before, there will be words that you understand. There are words that you will be able to understand. You will understand the word Allah, understand the word Rab, Rahmat, Jahannam, Jannah, Taqwa. There's not a single page where I think, and because you people know Urdu, there's so many words that have been imported from the Islamic Arabic into Urdu, that at least there are 10, 15, 20 words in every page that you would know their meaning. Right? And that word itself can trigger an emotional response in your heart. That said, right, a person should have a separate effort to learn and study the meanings of the Qur'an al-Kareem, ideally under somebody who has himself or herself studied the meanings of the Qur'an al-Kareem under somebody who has himself or herself, etc., etc., in other words, from a qualified scholar, right? Because you want to understand the ma'ani of the Qur'an. You don't just want the tarjima. I can translate several lies for right now and ask you what they mean. You just have no idea what that means. And I say, but I just translated it for you. You say, fine, we understand the literal meaning of the translation, but what does that verse mean? Why was that verse revealed? What is the intended effect on our heart? What 
effect is Allah Ta'ala trying to bring about in our heart? What change is He trying to bring as a result of this verse? That verse is talking about Allah's mercy. What are the other verses that mention His mercy? What are the ahadith of the Prophet have to say about this verse? That requires a lot of knowledge, right? To get the benefit from the Qur'an al-Kareem. So that we do that here at Lamsri also. That's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in Ramadan. That is the Qur'an. Here is being recited a recitation of the Arabic Qur'an. This is something you can appreciate, hopefully most of you in this month of Ramadan, where most of us do tend to recite more of the Arabic Qur'an. You will find just being connected to Kitabullah will connect you to Allah. Again, a ghaflat means to be disconnected, heedless from Allah. Right? If you connect yourself to Nabiullah, you will be connected to Allah, Rasulullah. Sallallahu if you will be connected to Kitabullah, you will be connected to Allah automatically, automatically. Right? So to recite the Qur'an al-Kareem in the Arabic language is also a cure for ghaflat. There's another way, right, which is to tackle this direct. It's okay when I put up for you the other day that the opposite of ghaflat is dhikr. So why not then say, okay, I will cure myself with you doing more zikr. It's that simple. If my problem is that I'm forgetful of Allah, well, I'll simply try to remember Him more and more. So there are two ways you can do this at a very easiest level. If I was to try to teach you the easiest possible zikr that I can think of, it would be as follows. And that is that whenever you have a free time on your hand that is two minutes or less, if you have free time that is three minutes or more, don't give it to me. Give it to the dunya. <laughs> give it to your studies. I'm not, I mean, give it to me if you want to. But right now I'm not asking for it. If you ever have free time that is two minutes or less, two minutes or less, use that time to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Generally, mutlaq, in any way you want. You can think about his zat, his wujud, his being. Think about his qurb, his akrabiyat, that he's intimately close to you. Think about his ma'iyat, that he is your companion. Think about his rahmah, that his mercy is coming in you. Think about his karam, his generosity, and how much is it the ni'mat he's given you. Any way you want to think of him, but just think about him for two minutes or less. What are those free times? If you were to look into your daily life, you will find that our day is actually sprinkled with such small moments of free time. You're walking from one class to the other. You're sitting down waiting for somebody to come. You're sitting, you're standing on line, there's a long line in the PDC. You enter your car and your friend says, oh, I just forgot something. She goes back in, you're waiting for it to come back. You will find your life is full of these small, small moments of time that up to now we've not been able to make any use of them. If you want to maximize your time, start maximizing these small pockets of time. What do we normally do? We just veg out. We just sit there, we daydream, we stare out the window until she comes back to the car. Why? Or we rethink about the dunya again, right? He starts thinking about the dunya all over again, his plans, his wishes, his regrets, planning the day, replanning the day. No. Use these two minutes or less in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you will find that throughout the day you'll keep on remembering it. So many times throughout the day. When you start remembering Allah ta'ala so many times throughout the day, then it will be very easy to remember him in your ibadah, to remember him in your salat. Second is that second easy zikr is 10 seconds. And that is that whenever you are about to do something that you know I'm going to be busy for a few hours, I've got a two-hour class, I'm going to sit down and study for three hours, whatever, I'm going to be driving for four hours, whatever it is, in the beginning of that action, spend 10 minutes and just remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just remember him. And then that's it, and then start doing what you're doing. And while you're doing what you're doing, every now and then check that, oh, am I so involved in my studies that I even forgot Allah existed? If you found, yeah, I totally got so lost in my studies, I even forgot Allah existed. Just remember him for five seconds again. Then go back to what you're doing. Then maybe sometime if you find out you got disconnected, reconnect. 
then check again, maybe you're disconnected, reconnect, just keep doing this in the background for five, five seconds, maybe every 20, 30, 40 minutes of a multiple hour activity. If you do this for a few days, these two things, you will find that your heart will on its own gradually start to remember Allah. It won't need to be triggered. Sometimes you will be sitting there. This is a beautiful moment if it happens on a person that you're sitting there and atalak Allah Ta'ala khud ba khud That's what you want. You want to become like that that Allah Ta'ala khud And you have that. There's so many khalat, so many random things. Oh, you go tell your friend, Oh, atalak ab mein pas bethi thi am yadage. Oh, shabash. Right? She's your friend. Right? Salo, nice thing. It shows that she has the place in your heart, asana. Right? What you have in your heart is going to come out. Right? So if you have the love for Allah SWT in your heart, then you will find that on our own, we will be able to remember Allah. If you reach that stage, that you remember Allah Ta'ala on your own, unprompted, untriggered, then believe me, inshallah, Aziz, you will be able to remember Allah Ta'ala on your salah, which is the ultimate trigger. That's the master switch. That's like the super power cable. So we're not even able to turn electricity on when that means we have to build ourselves up, build our capacity up. Right? The next illness, so the previous illness was ghaflat, heedlessness. The next illness is called ghil in the Arabic language. He's translated this as rancor. Rancor, O oh you who seek its elucidation, its explanation, is when the heart is bound to treachery, betrayal, or some trickery. The not binding this treachery, trickery, betrayal to the heart is resentful malice. Show kindness towards the object of your rancor and you will cause your enemies to despair. Keep also in mind the forgiveness as mentioned in the sound traditions promised twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. What does this mean? Number one, malice is something we did before. Malice is bogus. Malice spice hatred for somebody else. That is called bogus. That was a previous illness that we previously discussed. That is to have ill feelings towards someone, to have hatred towards somebody. It can be even a non-Muslim, but in this context, maybe khas towards the mu'min. That itself is wrong. You shouldn't have books towards a fellow Muslim. Rancor means to plan something. When he's saying treachery, trickery, right? Betrayal. To actually plot and plan and scheme to do something to hurt that person. Kisi ko dil azari, usko dil ko chubnai, to plan something. To harm, to act on your malice, spite and hatred. That is ghil. To act on your bughas. So he's saying, so where does this come from? The not binding it to the heart is this bughas. What's the cure? Show kindness. Show kindness towards the object of your rancor. And your enemies will despair. Very famous saying, keep your enemies closer than your friends. <laughs> Means be kind to your enemies. You will win them over. If you won't win them over, if nothing else, they will be stunned. They will be expecting enmity. They will be expecting rancor, treachery, trickery, portrayal, plotting, scheming. That's what they were expecting from you. And if you show up and don't do any of that, if you're not, if you can't win them over, if nothing else, you might contain their own shut. They'll be less likely than to do something to you. Whereas if you become a person of rancor and use this trickery, treachery, so the other person will shoot right back. And then you'll keep them. There'll be escalation. Right? One after the other. That's what happens when people have these feuds and fights with one another. Right? Then one person does something, the other person retaliates, the other person retaliates to another order, the person to another order, and it just escalates into unending, right, series of backs and forths. The first thing is kindness, right? Kindness is like pouring water on the flames of bogus. The second thing when he mentioned in this tradition, there's a sahih hadith in which it says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a special mercy or forgiveness on people on Mondays and Thursdays. Okay? 
on Mondays and Thursdays. It doesn't mean that anyway Allah Ta'ala does not forgive on other days. But there's some notion here, because of this, the Prophet it used to be a sunnah that sometimes, not always, but many times you would fast, enough extra fast, on Mondays and Thursdays, right? Um, perhaps by fasting you would get more of that forgiveness, more of that mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does it mean here is that you should forgive other people. We did this before in the Quran al-Kareem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مِنَ الْغَيْزِ The people who swallowed their anger. وَعَافِينَ عَنِ النَّاسِ That they are forgiving for other people. And you can forgive a person with any other time forgiving them with the hope that you will forgive me. I'm going to, otherwise if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had this thing called ghil, <laughs> that if he, when we do things to earn his anger, if he then chose to act on that anger and do something, plot something against us, send some azab our way, we'd be finished. <laughs> it'd be over for us. Right? So when we look again at what I mentioned to you before, the hilm of Allah, his hilm, his forbearance, that he has the power to do something but he holds back. He has the power to punish us instantly, but he holds himself back. So this withholding, this self-restraint is what we should learn ourselves and we should not give ourselves up to negative emotions, malice and spite in our heart and certainly not act upon those emotions. The next thing is fakhr. Fakhr, you have the same word in Urdu, but this is a negative, it's being used in a negative sense, right? Boasting, right? Boastfulness, pridefulness, arrogance. Fakhr is counted amongst these peculiar, peculiar illnesses of the heart. It is defined as praising yourself for good qualities. You should deem the peak of its mountain, the beginning of its mountain as insignificant. By which I mean, of course, arrogance. Do this if you desire it to collapse to the ground. Do that by knowing your Lord and knowing yourself. For whoever knows these two is humbled and feels insignificant. The station of arrogance negates the station of gratitude, just as humility by its nature engenders gratitude. Avoid and beware of humiliation and loneliness. In fact, display pride with the affluent and the arrogant one. So many things he's mentioning over here, right? Before we did for you ujab, a couple of days ago it was vanity and conceit. Let me explain to you the difference between ujab, kibber and takabur, between conceit and pride and there you also use the word arrogance. Fakhr is something different. Fakhr is close to ujab. It's close to ujab. But the notion here, maybe the key word here is boasting. Boasting, strutting, posturing. Right? Uh, so just like the kabur is a manifestation of kibar, you can think that fakhr uh, is a manifestation of ujab. For those of you who may not have been here, ujab is the first level, which in English you call vanity and conceit. It means to think highly of yourself to look at those praiseworthy characteristics in yourself and instead of being humble and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for granting us those, to be vain and conceited and to think that we are a very accomplished and talented person. Kibber means to view yourself as better than somebody else. Ujub is not relative to anyone. Kibber is relative to others to view ourselves as better than others. And takabur means to do something to act on your kibber, which means to treat somebody else as if they were lower than you. To act as if you're better than them. To cut them in line, to think you're more privileged, more honored, etc. This word fakhr means to act on your ujjah. One way of that can be literally this thing, boasting. So sometimes you will find that if you boast about your qualities, you're boasting to someone that yarmine, I don't know what, what you guys say. Yarmine, falankia, yarmine, yezabadast, kamkia, yarmine, falahu, I'm this, I'm that. Bragging, right? In English, what you call boasting, what we call bragging, right? Some people brag about their lineage. 
Some people brag about their money. Some people brag about their wealth. You can brag about your car. You might brag about your grades. You can brag about so many things. Bragging, boasting. That is fakhr. That is also not allowed. It's not something we want to do. It's against the adab, the akhlaq of our deen. Against the perfect, the purified heart, the qalbun salim that every mu'min would want to have. Allah subhanahu wa says in the Quran that Allah does not love the arrogant and the boasting ones. The second thing, what does he say here is that it's, it's arrogance, it's its beginning, right? The beginning is arrogance. The cure for this that he says is by knowing your Lord and knowing yourself. And when you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you realize I have nothing to boast of. What can I brag of in front of this Lord, Allah who is Al-Akbar, Al-Azim, Al-A'lad, Al-Jalal, right? But I'm just a lowly human being. I have no bragging rights. I have nothing. I'm an insignificant, I'm a mere human mortal. I'm insignificant compared to my Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what the Prophet said in the hadith, Man tawada allillahi rafa'uhullah, that that person who lowers themselves before Allah, Allah exalts his spiritual state. Or, Man kana lillahi kana lahu that that person who makes themselves Allah's, Allah makes him uh, theirs. Allah gifts himself to them. The next thing he mentions here is that this station of boasting and arrogance negates the station of gratitude. So fakhr and kibr is what's being dealt with here. Fakhr and kibr negate shukr. A person who has kibr is arrogant is very ungrateful because he thinks that he deserves what he earned. The very famous Hadith of the Prophet somebody mentions the story of the Bani Israel. And he says that once there were three men in the Bani Israel who were very poor, very having an extremely tough time. And on top of it, right, a couple of them were mentioned as having some other type of illness. One of them was bald, and one of them had some other illness I can't remember. But here Allah Ta'ala sends an angel to them in human form. And that angel goes and gives a gift to each of them of a flock of animals. One person is given a flock of sheep, one person is given a flock of camels, one person is given a flock of cows. And these three poor people, by getting this flock of animals, they start multiplying their livestock, it's like livestock farming, and they become wealthy people. Then the years pass, and Allah Ta'ala sends the same angel to them in another human form as a poor person. So he goes to the first one and says that, Oh, mashallah, you're such a well-off person. I'm a poor person, I ask you in the name of Allah. Allah Ta'ala has given you so much, why don't you give me something in His name? So the person starts with fakhr and kibr and says, Oh, you poor people, I'll put it to you in Urdu so you can see, maybe you've heard this from some elders. And the angel left. When he said that, right, he forgot his okat, he forgot his origins, and actually he was nothing. Allah Ta'ala had given it to him. But years passed, he became arrogant because of his wealth. So he said, the Salman Allah has given me, I earned this myself. The angel moved to the next person. Meanwhile, that person's animals started to die. Such that his flock died and ha. Huh. And then, ha, huh, sorry. And then he said that I have always been rich. I've always been rich. So then that angel did dua for him. He said, okay, may Allah Ta'ala return you to the state that you always were. I said that. May Allah return you to the state that you always were. Abhi moved on. always worse than He was poor. But he got returned to his asl, but the animals started dying. Went to the second one. Same thing. But mashallah, Allah has given you so much, and I'm a needy person. Why don't you give me something out of what Allah has given you in His name? Same thing. What are you talking about? I've earned this myself. I'm a rich person. I've always been like this. 
What do you mean that Allah gave me this? Are you suggesting I was not, didn't have this? It's taken. May Allah Ta'ala make you as you always were. Went on, his flock started to die. Third person, he went to, same thing. Allah Ta'ala Allah has given you so much. Give me something in Allah Ta'ala's name. The person looked at him and said, sit down. You're absolutely right. Everything I have is what Allah Ta'ala has given me. You have realized my hakikat. I have nothing. Whatever I have is because what Allah has given me. If you look between these two hills in this whole valley, all these sheep are mine only to the puzzle of Allah. If you come to me and ask on his name, take however many sheep you want. Because if you're asking in his name, he is the one who gave me that. Then the angel said that, congratulations be to you. Shabash. Right? <laughs> congratulations be to you. I am that same angel who was sent down in the beginning who brought you this lock. If sheep Allah Ta'ala sent me again to test your istikamat, to test whether this dunya, whether this wealth had made you arrogant and given you this kibber, this fakhr, that you forgot your origins. Right? So this is a hadith of the Prophet told us to teach us something. Right? That we should never forget our origins. We have very, very humble origins. Now many of us may have been born with a quote-unquote silver spoon in our mouth, but nonetheless we know that whatever we have is not due to our own doing or our own parents' doing. It's due to the Allah Ta'ala's puzzle. And we should be grateful. So when a person is arrogant and boastful, they lose their gratitude. But humility by its nature engenders gratitude. Lastly, he made a different statement. Right? And he does this sometimes, lest a person go to an extreme. Avoid and beware of being humble in loneliness, humiliation and loneliness. In fact, display pride with the affluent and the arrogant one. So what he's saying, humility doesn't mean you abase yourself, that you humiliate yourself, that you let people run over you. And he's saying, especially a display pride. Be a bit strong with the rich and with the arrogant. Some sense he's addressing this to religious people, right? Uh, because his students were basically ulama, talaba, sulaha, muridin, pious people. So he's telling them that, look, you should not lower yourself in front of the rich, right? But you should have another thing that we call istighna. Istighna means that you're self-sufficient, that you have your own independence, that you rely upon Allah, and that you don't look at the coffers of the wallets of the rich people. And you should display pride with the arrogant one. Because if you're humble in front of them, then that will lead them to become more arrogant. That will lead them to have all the more takamur. So if you meet somebody who is arrogant, not that you should meet him with arrogance, but this is a good type of pride now. This is the last word, is the good type of fakhar. The izan, that you should have your own izdat, your waqar. You should have your own dignity and self-respect, maintain your dignity, self-respect, poise and status in front of those who are rich and in front of those who are arrogant. Shall I pause over here then? Today we did three things, ghaflat. I didn't take your questions last time, so last time's whole discussion on ghaflat. And this time a second thing we did was rancor or ghil. And a third thing we did was fakhr and kibber. And you can ask your questions from last time as well, which was on ghaflat and which was also on fraud and deception and vanity, ujub. Displeasure with blame. Displeasure with blame. I will start this for you today. Displeasure with blame. What does this mean? It means that we don't like to be critiqued. We don't like to be counseled. All right. This is what he means here by blame. Is another well-known disease of the heart. Concern with people's opinions and desiring their praise and displeasure at their criticisms are a barrier from achieving the station of excellence in worship, attaining maqam-e ahsan in ibadah. Overcoming that barrier is through the realization that there is no benefit or harm unless it comes from Allah. 
the possessor of all dominion, exalted and majestic is he. Furthermore, what is prohibited from this disease is what leads to the prohibited, just as Imam al-Ghazali elaborated, the perfection of sincerity is that you do not give notice to any praise, the perfection of ikhlas is that you do not give notice to any praise or blame that emanates from people. What does this mean? Displeasure with blame. That somebody does muzammat, that you do something for the deen, and somebody teases you, somebody mocks you, and you're displeased with that. You can't handle that, that somebody says something to you, and therefore you stop doing what Allah wants you to do, because you cannot take the tans, the tana, the sarcasm, the irony, the witty remarks, the jokes, the teasing, the mocking, etc., etc., the tanqeed, other people. This is what he's saying, is that we should not be in this sense concerned with what other people say, over and above being concerned with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants for us. And this can also be an illness of the heart. And this happens to people, right? But sometimes you know, and this whole quote-unquote phenomenon of peer pressure is precisely this. Why do you succumb to peer pressure? Because if I don't succumb to the peer pressure, then the person will tease me, or the person will mock me, right? So better than that I just listen and do whatever people are saying to do, or do whatever is the cool thing to do, or wear whatever is the cool in hip thing to wear, right? Lest I be mocked, right? And made fun of, or snickered at, right? So, Allah, so Imam Maludh is saying that no, this is a disease, right? What we are interested in is that we are interested in how we appear in Allah's eyes. How does Allah Ta'ala look at us? What is our esteem in His eyes? Are we beautiful to Him or are we repugnant to Him? Right? And we cannot make ourselves beautiful in the eyes of others if it means, if it comes at the expense. If it comes at the expense of making ourselves even less beautiful in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And similarly, the flip side of this is we should not, so not only, number one, we are wary or displeased at people's criticisms, and secondly, we are desiring of other people's praise. That rather than making myself praiseworthy in Allah's eyes, I want myself to be praiseworthy in this person's eyes. Let me do what makes this person happy, even if it's against what Allah make, what makes Allah happy. So trying to make others happy, or trying to save from making other people displeased. Certainly if it's within the boundaries of the shi'a, it's fine. In fact, there's some places Allah Himself has commanded it, that as long as you remain within the realm of permissible, you should try to make your parents happy and pleased. As long as you remain within the realm of the permissible, you should try not to do anything that makes them displeased. Right? But if it means going beyond the teachings of our deen, we should not care so much about people saying this with the Sahaba were. When a Sahaba accepted Islam, they were ridiculed and mocked by their society, by their family, by sometimes their own fathers and mothers, their brothers and sisters, their sons and daughters. They were mocked, they were ridiculed, right? But they didn't care. They said, look, it doesn't mean it hurt them, they were people. They were hurt, they felt bad, their feelings got hurt. But they realized, but we cannot base our action and behavior on this. That we cannot let our feelings get hurt. More important to us is our deen, is our spirituality. If there's some way we can make sure our spirituality doesn't get hurt without our feelings get hurt, that's fine. Otherwise, if we have to choose, either my deen is going to get hurt or my feelings is going to get hurt, in that case, then we're going to have to pick the unfortunate choice, but that we're going to have to let our feelings get hurt, perhaps by listening to the mocking comments or ridiculing comments of a person, rather than hurt our deen and have to listen to the questioning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yawm deen to be questioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment is much more difficult than to be questioned or queried or mocked or teased by a human being in this world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us an ability to purify our heart. This is the last session for this month of Ramadan. Until after Ramadan, we will come up with a new timetable, a different venue, a different time. 
uh, and we will let all of you know who have ever signed up.